friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queens Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community and community to mission. We gather to worship God in fellowship with one another on Saturday afternoons at 3pm. If you ever have any questions or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at redeemerqp.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible talks. Let's listen to the next episode. Patrick. Patrick just reads to us a portion of scripture delivered at a group of people who have troubled hearts. But we bring some troubled hearts in this room this afternoon, looking for comfort. This is what Jesus has to say. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Deep down, at the end of the day, we are our relationships. Few things are going to matter in the end other than our relationships, specifically how well we connected to God and how well we connected with other people. We are our relationships. Freddie Mercury once said, whose body lies dead and buried just two miles from here, Freddie Mercury once said, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. And that is the most bitter type of loneliness. He testified that success has brought me world idolization and millions of pounds, but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving and ongoing relationship. We need relationships. But not just any type of relationship. We need the type of relationship that the disciples are asking for here, that relationship with the Father, that relationship with the God that made us, not just, not just any relationship, but that relationship that Adam and Eve would have known back in the garden. That threefold privilege of relating to God. That way of being in communion with your maker. They knew him. They, he knew them. They had spiritual life. The creation and the creator perfectly connected. No gap, no harm, harmony. The threefold relationship, though, was badly severed because of our sin, our disobedience. God gives, some, God gives his way, and we choose our own. And with that, we become alienated from God. The hiding that they experienced from God is painfully demonstrated. We believe the devil's lie, humanity, painfully separates himself and herself from God. Humanity is no longer capable of perceiving the truth when we cut ourselves off from God. We make fig leaves to cover up our shame. We no longer have spiritual life, for in that day, God's word to us becomes very true. Yeah, if you eat this, so you will surely die. We're made for relationship. We're made to be connected to God, but when we're not connected to God, that that lifeline that connects the creator to his creation, when it's severed, there's pain and there's brokenness. And it leaves us in a real place of need. We need reconciliation. We need someone or something to come along and connect us with God again. We need illumination. When we are cut off from our creator, we need someone or something to come along and to help us to see. We need to be enlightened. And indeed, we need spiritual regeneration. We need to be able to become alive from the inside spiritually. 
This threefold needs perfectly met by the Savior, Jesus Christ, who comes along and he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And what you've been looking for. He is the way to the Father. He is the truth about the Father. He is the life of the Father. And we're considering what does it mean for Jesus to self-define, Jesus in his own words. That's where we've been in these last couple of weeks. We don't have to wonder. You don't have to guess who is Jesus, what is Jesus like. When Jesus asked people in his own day, people would give him positions of honor. Oh, yeah, man, you're, you're, you're a big-time prophet. And some people say you're, you're kind of like Old Testament legend, like you're great. If we were to take a poll around the room today, there'd probably be a whole host of things. Like, oh, man, let's, let's not deny. Like, he was a great teacher. Others would say, look, I mean, he, he did some stuff that no one in history is credited with some of his stuff. He's got a resume. I'll tell you something. But he, he declares this. He declares, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So let's allow those themes to speak to us today. And let's be sure we have the right background and setup. Because up to this moment in the Gospel of John, he's laid it all out there. If you were to go home, maybe over the weekend or over this half-term break, if you were to read these first 13 chapters of the Gospel of John, you could even do it in one sitting. You could just sit with it. Jesus is comforting his disciples because he's got an upcoming departure. He's told them, look, I'm, I'm going to be taken from you. He's telling them, I'm actually going to go and I'm going to give my life as a sacrifice for your sin. That's what he's been saying. The disciples, the disciples have entered Jerusalem for the last time. Jesus is speaking very clearly about his death. And while Jesus affirms that they know where he is going, one of the disciples, this guy named Thomas, he rises up and he asks for more clarification. Thomas claims, look, we really don't know the destination that you're going. Can you tell us more? Can you, can you give us some specifics? Like, if you're not here, how, how are we going to get to where you are? And Jesus has some good news for his followers. He's telling them, look, I'm going to go away. I'm going to prepare a mansion for you. The, the Greek word has the connotations of a suite. You can imagine the, the nicest hotel at the nicest resort. And you can imagine the nicest room in that place. And Jesus is like, look, I'm going away, but it's purposeful. I'm going to go create a place for my followers, so I can bring you with me, and you can be there. And clearly, there's something about that that just evokes something in their hearts to where they're like, but how, how can we find that? How will we know the way? And Jesus comes along, and he offers this comfort. I'm going to read it again. John 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you may be where I am. How comforting is that? He could have said anything. He could have said anything to a group of people that had broken and troubled hearts. And that's what he has. That's what he offers. That's what he offers to our broken hearts today. That's what he offers to our troubled spirits today. I'm going to go prepare a place and I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you and I'm bringing you with. That's what he has. He says, you know the place where I'm going. And there's Thomas in verse 5. But Lord, we actually don't know the specific spot. Can you tell us so we'll know the way? And there's the answer. Jesus says, look, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And no one's finding their way to the Father except through me. The disciples have troubled hearts. Around this room, we have some troubled hearts. And Jesus spoke this word to comfort their troubled hearts. John 14, 6, comfort for troubled 
hearts. Jesus spoke these words to comfort them. They knew the cross was coming. They needed some comfort to help find their way as Jesus is on his way to the cross. Jesus would go to the cross to demonstrate his divine love for his people. We may say the words, I love you today, but love is an action. Love's not empty speech. And Jesus, Jesus is God's demonstration of his love for the world. Jesus goes to the cross, and on the cross, he willingly lays down his life for all the brokenness, for all the sin, for all the shame, for all the guilt of humanity, all, all mine, all yours, all on Jesus. He just asks us to believe. So the disciples then, they don't need to concern themselves with the location or a destination. They don't need to obsess over a place. All they need to do is focus on this person. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Just as heaven is about living with Jesus and being with Jesus, so then salvation is about Jesus. Jesus doesn't only give us advice. He doesn't give us directions. He takes us by the hand. He strengthens his people. He guides his people personally and daily. He does not tell us about the way. He doesn't tell us about the truth. He doesn't tell us about the life. He says, you're coming with me. And I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. You see how this could come into the hearts of a broken and troubled people, and this could actually, this could actually give strength. And this is what Jesus intended to do in the lives of these followers, and this is what we need in this room. It's like A.W. Tozer once said, a scared world does need a fearless church. Imagine how fearless these words could make us as a people, as individuals, yes, and as a community of faith even more. We are connected to the way. We are connected to the truth. We are connected to the life. A relationship with the Father. The disciples, so uneasy about their circumstances and their condition. They need comfort. and They need this, the way, the truth, and the life. So when people come to Jesus then, even this afternoon, if somebody's, if somebody's heart was to come to Jesus this afternoon, they come to the one in whom the way of the Father is present, the truth of the Father is present, and the life of the Father is present. It's in Jesus. He's the Father in the world. So let's just reflect on this. Let's just have a time of meditating. We'll take a step back. We'll consider what it looks like for us to live this out in the midst of the world in which we live. First, it's, it's right there, that first phrase. Jesus is the way to the Father. Of the three terms, the emphasis does fall on this one, the way Access to the Father's presence in heaven will only be found through Jesus, and it's not going to come through any other. It comes through this one. Only Jesus can lead people to God. Only Jesus can lead his followers to the place that he leaves to prepare. And without this way, without Christ, we're like Cain in the Old Testament, just wandering around. See, Jesus is not merely a guide who came to show men and women the path in which they ought to walk. Jesus himself, he is the way. He is the path to the Father. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. So what does it mean for us in this world today? Jesus doesn't only give advice. He doesn't only give directions. He takes his own by their hand, and he says, I'm going to walk you to the Father. He promises comfort, and he wants to give it to us. He doesn't tell us, oh, there's the way, good luck. He says, I'm the way, 
and I'm going to walk you there. The disciples don't need to concern themselves then with the location. We don't have to ask Thomas's question from the text. Jesus, can you just tell us in case we get separated, in case, in case you're over there and I'm over here, can you just tell me so I can just find my way and I can meet you there in the end? The question doesn't even make sense because there's not, it's not even about a place that we're trying to end up. It's about a person that we're trying to journey with. It's Jesus. So Jesus then, he is the way to God precisely because he is the truth of God. We see this in John 1.14, and he is the life of God. You see this in John 1.4, John 3.15, and John 11.25. Jesus, Jesus himself, he is the way to the Father. You have a troubled heart? Considering, like, where, where, where do we go? Here he is. He says, I am the way. Next, notice, Jesus is the truth of the Father. Not just the way. There's more to him than that. He's the truth. Jesus is the way to the Father because Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the authoritative and representative revealer of God the Father. So you don't have to wonder what God the Father is like. In a general sense, we don't have to wonder, like, now I wonder, I wonder what God's like. Like, I just wonder. Like, I read some stories where he's clearly present in the Old Testament, but I just wonder what he'd be like if he was a human. You go to Jesus, and you can see what the truth of God looks like packaged in human flesh. He's the truth of the Father. He hears what God says, and he obeys what God tells him to do. You see this in John 5.19 and John 8.29. He discloses God exhaustively, unlike anyone else, because he has seen God. John 1.18, indeed, he is God. And Jesus meets a very specific need all of us are carrying. Jesus meets our need of being truth in a world full of lies. We walk in here this afternoon. Many of us haven't been lied to all week long. Lies come in our way. Lies about ourselves, lies about our families, lies about our communities, lies about who we are, lies about where this world is headed, lies about what the good life is, lies about what success is. And here stands Jesus, the truth. Jesus Christ is the truth because he is the full and final revelation of God. You go read the first few verses of the book of Hebrews. And it says, look, God's spoken many times in many ways, but if you want to hear what God has to say, you go read this one. You go read Jesus. Uh, Pilate, the, 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 the governor who Jesus stood before after being beaten, Pilate voiced the perplexity of multitudes of people when he asked, what is truth? And truth is not to be found in a system of philosophy, but truth is to be found in a person. This one, Jesus Christ, who is the truth. Jesus reveals God. Jesus exposes what's in the hearts of man. In him are hid all the treasures and wisdom of knowledge. Colossians 2.3 promises this. So when you think about this, it would be a waste of a life. According to this, it would be a wasted life to master the sciences, to know the events of history, to become proficient in the languages of humanity, to know the ins and outs of governments and politics, and not to know this truth, not to know the truth of God. It actually leads us as a church then to consider, man, what would it look like to actually spend less time on Twitter and more time in the Bible? Because without this truth, 
We are under the power of the spirit of age. We're under the power of the devil, the father of lies. But Jesus Christ is not merely a teacher. So he's not merely a guide that's pointing like, there's the way, try it. He says, I'm the way. And then he's not merely a teacher. It just says, here's, here's what you ought to try to obey. So good luck with that as well. He is the truth himself. So all we got to do is hold on to him. So what we delight in, we sacrifice to enjoy. And the more we delight in Jesus, the more we get wrapped up in his truth. And the more his truth begins to define our life. And the more his truth begins to define our life, the more we come to see those different lies and false narratives and false scripts we've been living our lives according to, they start to fall away as he starts to fill his people with truth. So by implication then, for us as a church, the way we treat the Bible is in a sense the way we treat Jesus. Since he is the living word, he's the, he's the theme of the word, and he is exclusive truth. We're going to get to this in a minute, but what Jesus says can be trusted because he himself is the truth. Jesus does not simply tell us the truth. Jesus embodied the truth. He's the source of truth, and he's the reason truth is absolute. Sometimes we want to say things like, well, man, I just wish God would give me an airtight argument for the existence of God. But what if instead of giving us a, a watertight argument, like as a proof or in demonstration for the existence of God, what if what God did instead is he gave us a watertight person? And that's exactly what he's done. In the person of Jesus Christ is truth. He's absolute. And you don't have to wonder. You don't have to wonder, am I, am I getting this right? We don't have to go home tonight. You don't have to lay on your pillow just thinking, I just wonder if, I wonder, if I'm, I wonder if this life's headed in the right direction. Come to him. He is the truth. He is the truth. Finally, Jesus is the life of the Father. He's the way of the Father. He's the truth of the Father, and he's the life of the Father. Those who follow Jesus, who come to the Father through his way, will be the ones to gain eternal life, a massive theme. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. So then, Jesus is the mediator. Jesus is the one who creates the avenue to God. All truth is God's truth, and all life is God's life, because God's truth and God's life are made incarnate in this one, in Jesus Christ. And here, Jesus meets another massive need we're all carrying around inside of us. Only Jesus, only Jesus is spiritual life. And many of us, we're trying to find a way to activate and to cover up that spiritual deadness and that spiritual brokenness that we carry around inside of us. And here's Jesus saying, I am spiritual life. I am spiritual life. So Jesus then meets another need, spiritual life in a world of spiritual death. Jesus Christ is the life because he is the emancipator from death. The whole Bible bears witness to this fact that, that you and me in our natural state, we're spiritually lifeless. I mean, sure, you step outside. Sure, this place can look kind of vibrant. There's people walking around dressed in all different types of ways. Like, well, this isn't dead. No, 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 but inwardly, spiritually. And some of us, we know this. We're haunted by this. And here he stands, this one who is life. He is alive to the things of this world. Jesus is. 
Jesus is inwardly alive. And the one, the one who is in Christ is the one who has spiritual life. You remember when the prodigal son returned from the far country, the father runs up, and what did the father say? Well, this son of mine was dead, and he's alive again. He's lost, but now he's found. So the one who believes in Jesus Christ, the Bible says you have passed out of spiritual death, and you have passed into spiritual life. There's, there, there's probably a few Christians in here this afternoon. We just need to hear that. You just need to have somebody encourage you with John 5, 24. Even though this world feels like a death, even though your Christian life this last week, it felt like a death, it felt like a shadow, the lights are on. Life is here. Jesus has brought you to life. So we turn to him who is life. And without Christ, we're, we're dead. We're dead in our trespasses and we're dead in our sins. So now, here, here it is again. Jesus Christ then. He's not merely a physician who comes along to kind of like barely invigorate our old nature and just to kind of give us a little perk-me-up. Jesus is the life. So he comes to us who are spiritually dead, and he resurrects us and makes us spiritually alive. So in our own lives, fruits need roots. And the most important part of the tree is actually the root system. It's that part that's in the ground that's drawing nutrients drawing up water, drawing up life. And so it is in the Christian life then. The most important part of a believer's life is the part that you can't see. It's the root system. It's where are you tapping the roots of your soul in to draw life and sustenance to be able to live in this world. As a church, the implication then would be for us, to let's be a church that values and prioritizes the secret place with the Father. We're drawing life from Him. So take a step back. And consider what you see here. John 14, 6, it easily outlines the three sets of answers that Jesus provides from the Father. And this afternoon, what's on offer is that you can find the way. And Christian, if you're already with Jesus, then you have the way. You're in the way. But you can find the way. You can find reconciliation with God. Jesus answers the question, how could we be saved? He answers that question from heaven by declaring that he is the way. There's others of us, we're walking around, we're looking for meaning. Discover the truth. This revelation from God, Jesus answers the questions about what is right and what can be trusted by declaring that he is the way and he is the truth. And finally, we can receive life. Life is on offer. Life is on offer in this room this afternoon. As bizarre as that sounds, you can come to a school hall on a Saturday afternoon, yeah, I mean, we just put a couple Band-Aids on this place just to try to fix it up just a little bit. And you can find life. It's true. You can find life. You can have regeneration by God. Your soul can come to life. You don't have to carry around a dead soul anymore. Jesus answers the question about how to be satisfied and how to have meaning in life by declaring that he is the life. Now think about what this means for the world in which we live. We're going to hit this real quick. Think about then the intolerance of tolerance. Because what Jesus is on to here, this flies in the face of one of the most widely held and appreciated cultural maxims of the day in which we live. Well, let's just, let's just accept not, not just all people, but why do we say it? Let's accept all ideologies. Let's accept all worldviews. Let's just accept all ways of life as equally meaningful and equally valid. The problem, 
The problem, like the problem from Jesus and the problem for anyone belonging to Jesus is that John 14, 6 is a clear confrontation with that prized idea. Western culture prizes this ideal of including others, including other people, including ideas, and to exclude anyone is seen as being tremendously out of line with the spirit of the age. But let's just have a think on this, okay? Jesus didn't believe there were multiple ways of accessing the blessing and the presence of the Father. Jesus seemed to believe there's, there's one way, there's one truth, there's one life, and he believed it was all in him. So what is it about this that comes across as so offensive to some of us? It's the exclusivity of Jesus' statement that often evokes anger from some of us. And why is it so offensive? It's so offensive because it strikes a blow at our own human pride. When Jesus says to you and me, you can't make it to the Father on your own, what Jesus is saying to us is that your pride, your ability, your belief in yourself, it's not going to cut it in the end. So it actually exposes this actually incredibly intolerant thing to demand that people be tolerant because when we demand that everyone is tolerant, that right there is a view that's going to be intolerant of other claims and other ideas. It gets us onto the slippery slope of sincerity then. A wildly, widely held idea that it doesn't matter what you worship as long as you're just sincere in your worship. But, but just think on this. this. This mode of thinking states that it doesn't matter what you believe or what you worship as long as you're sincere in it. But think about how this actually doesn't hold up. What if the Ephesians, what if they were just really, really sincere in their worship and their devotion of Artemis? Maybe that would have landed well in the end. What if the worshipers of Baal, they were just really, really sincere in their worship of Baal? What if, what if a Muslim is just really, really sincere in the worship of Allah? Maybe... It, it doesn't matter what we believe as long as we're just really, really genuine and we're really, really sincere. But it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Jesus does not merely show us, Jesus does not merely show us the way. He says he is the way. He doesn't merely show us the truth. He says he is the truth. And he doesn't give us an example to live by. He says he is the life itself. Because Jesus is the word eternal, the very word of God. He doesn't merely teach us these things. He claims to be these things. Well, that necessarily excludes anyone or anything that's out of line with him. So it's an implication for a church then. John 14, 6, this is the text that inspires mission. This is a text that inspires evangelism. This is a text that builds churches. It drives our worship because we're not wasting our time this afternoon. It's not like there's many other ways to get up the mountain to God, and we're just chosen this one, and we're hoping it's cool. This is the way. It's the truth. It's the life. So we're not wasting our time when we get in here for this. And then if there's any of us that just still just doesn't sit right, we don't complain that there's only one way to God. It's a miracle of miracles that there's any way to God at all. And when we read the Bible, what we actually come face to face with are the many dark paths of our own pride, our own selfishness, and our own sin. When reading the Bible, the Bible's surprise isn't that there's a way to get to God. The Bible's shock 
is that that loving and holy God could have any way for us to get to him at all. Praise God. He's made a way through the person of Jesus Christ. And look, let's land it there. Louis is coming up. The conclusion of the matter is this. Jesus is the road to the Father. Think back to that parable of the father and the two prodigal sons. The two prodigal sons coming home to the way, coming home to the truth, coming home to the life of the father. Because Jesus told this parable in Luke 15, verses 11 to 32, and he described the spiritual condition of all of us, everyone who turned their back on the father, every single one of us. Two sons in the story, one runs away in rebellion, the other one steps out back in resentment. But let's just focus on that one who ran away in rebellion. That one who ran away in rebellion in Luke 15, 24 tells us that that one was lost and dead. And in verse 17, it reveals that he was actually ignorant for he had to come to his senses. It was in this ignorance of himself and what the real life was all about that he actually found himself running from the love of the Father. But he is, as he was sitting in a pigsty, he took inventory. And what he realized as he took inventory is that in his father's house, that was actually the best place that he could have been living. And he realized his father, he said, he's so kind. Why am I living like this? And in Luke 15, 20, we see the point. He got up and he went to the father. And think about what this says when overlaid against that idea. Jesus said, no one comes to the father except through me. So what that means is every spiritual deficiency that you and I have, it is both met and then graciously overcome with the grace of this God. See, you and I may be lost, but Jesus is the way to the Father's house. Like that one, you and I too, we may be ignorant, but Jesus is the truth about the Father. That tells us that he was actually spiritually dead, but Jesus is the spiritual life of God. And he comes to us and he shares it with all who repent. So that wayward son, his life was a mess and it was all his own fault. But that wasn't mo what motivated him to return home. And the boy remembered how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare. And here I am starving to death. See what, what motivated that prodigal to come home is the same thing that comforted the disciples with troubled hearts in John 14. It's that word from Luke, Luke 15, 17. He's a loving father. He's a loving father. Surely my heart just longs to be home with him. It wasn't the badness of the sinner, but the goodness of the father that drew him home. So then as a church community, what we want to do week in and week out. Yes, we got to get in touch with the, with the funk, with the distortion, with the brokenness, with the sin that's inside of each and every one of us. But we got to hold up higher than that, the grace and the love and the mercy of the Father that's intended to bring us home. It's what Paul says in Romans 2, 4, God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. And when this one got close to home, his father saw him. The Bible says he ran to him. The Bible says he embraced him. And the Bible says he led him back home. In that moment, the stains and the smells of the far country were washed off and removed. A rich garment of blessing and presence was put on him. Shoes were put under his feet. A ring of royalty was put on his hand. The past was forgiven and forgotten. And he was made a new beginning. And this is what can happen to any of us that come to this one is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's do it now. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us to come home to your son. We pray this for us who are believers, 
We believe in your son, Jesus. We love you for your son, Jesus. We pray that you would help us to come home to him now, to realize our salvation, to realize the rich benefits and fruits that are ours. Help us to come home to him again. Father, we just take a moment to to consider and to pray with a room like this coming from all the places we come from. Father, we, we we just pray. Would you give life to us? Would you reveal your truth to us and would you secure us in your way? Father, we thank you for space in a busy world and in this busy week to now just be able to sit with these ideas, be able to worship you, to be able to pray, to sing, and to respond. We pray that you would meet us in here. You would reveal yourself to us. You would indeed bring us home. We ask this for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all go ahead and stand up.